Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. What would you do? Right, we have this scenario. I've never experienced this scenario, but I'm sure people have. Okay. So you just share. you're discussing a job candidate. So, you know, you're interviewing for a position. You're discussing a job candidate who wears a hijab. And a hiring manager says their worried clients won't be able to relate to her. What would you do? Oh, that's an interesting one. Well, before you answer that question, I have another question. Mm. Have you ever worked with anyone in a workplace or in a workplace where there was a woman wearing hijab yes many times yes yeah yes I have I suppose that one of the environments that I've um, worked in is a media advertising environment where in, there's um, lots of work lots of play lots of it's a very social kind of culture where there's alcohol which is openly there um, from midday onwards and I know that there's my ex-team colleague um, who has worn a hijab in this environment that hasn't phased her it hasn't phased fortunately it hasn't phased anyone in the environment but I think I'd I'd put that down to the company itself the company I was working for they wouldn't have tolerated any kind of discrimination or bias towards anyone wearing a hijab so yeah I'm quite fortunate around to have that experience and um, the other experience where I've had is um, it's actually been working remotely. So I haven't had the exposure to uh, uh, to any of my, my co-workers and the impact that wearing a hijab has had. So those are the two experiences that I've had. In this particular, what would you do? With, if I was part of a hiring team and my colleague had said that when they had um, concerns around how this candidate would uh, represent the company in terms of clients is that was that a question well, sorry it says they're worried clients won't be able to relate to her clients wouldn't be able to relate to, to her um, I'd be asking the whoever said that I'd be asking the person I'd probably I'd deep down deep dive into it and ask about what exactly would they mean and if it did come up in terms of uh, the hijab or the way the person looked because they were of a different culture then that's what's sort of, then I'd basically focus in on the, the skills at the interview that the candidate showed and just base it on that and bring that back to the room and base the selection of that. Beautiful. That's cool. I actually, um, I have not worked with anyone ever 
wearing a hijab. I'm thinking now, the companies I've worked at, whether anyone, no, I haven't at all, which is quite interesting. I haven't. You have a, you have a I suppose, thing that came up from memory now. Is a few years ago, but the experience that I had with working with a team member who's wearing a hijab, and um, and it was obviously because that's her culture and that was her that's her religion, and uh, and in her religion there's a fasting season. Ramadan, yeah. I remember the the organisation actually, um, and she was the only person of a company who I think I don't know if, whether or not how it came about, whether or not she requested it, or if the organisation put this into place. But they actually changed uh, they changed her hours slightly during the month of Ramadan and um, because it was a case of energy levels and concentration levels mm-hmm. and so um, just making sure that she was able to continue doing the work as comfortably as she could to the best of her abilities but also um, being mindful the organization was mindful of the fact that it's Ramadan and it requires fasting and so um, and in terms of in terms of that particular fasting period it can impact concentration and focus and the work that she was doing was around quality assurance and so which demands focus and concentration and so the, the organization actually uh, actually can put in some steps well that's good I mean I have yeah. worked I've worked very closely with a Muslim lady she just didn't wear a hijab she didn't wear a hijab so I'm familiar, you know, with the Ramadan and I remember we should be fasting. Luckily for us is we have quite a flexible working environment anyway. So you could start later, start early, finish early, finish later. As long as you got your work done, it didn't bother people. Um, it was kind, it was accepted working culture. So that wasn't necessary to specifically, you know, modify her hours in that respect. But yes, I remember when she would be doing... Ramadan so I haven't had this situation I guess the I don't know whether she chose maybe she wore a hijab outside of work I don't know I never asked her yeah. I'm wondering about it now that this is a situation yeah. Yeah. and I'm wondering if she maybe never chose I'm just thinking I did go to her house as well she wasn't wearing a hijab so maybe she just is someone that chooses not to wear it anyway yeah I suppose um, it's an interesting one because I'm going to turn this question around a little bit in terms of what would you do so I'm going to turn it around a little bit and saying okay if I was of a Muslim if I was following the Muslim religion and I was wearing a hijab inside the house when I was applying for jobs or if I went out to work would I wear a hijab and I think for me I would think about okay well my identity but I would also think about the organization and I'd be thinking okay is this organization an organization that is going to support me not put any attention around specific bias or discrimination and if it was then I wouldn't want to be working for that organization so for me I'd be yeah if I was an, an individual wearing a hijab then I'd still wear it to work and uh, because I'd be thinking, okay, well, I'm hoping um, and I'd be expecting that the organization that I do put my time and effort towards would be supporting, you know, my culture that I follow. And it doesn't mm. have an impact on the work quality that I'm presenting. And that comes back into the answer to the, what would you do? Because regardless of where you're, whether you're wearing a hijab or not, it should, it ideally shouldn't have an impact on your work output. However, you know it's, it's down to that client how they see that and that's what they're talking about here yeah. really and for me it's like I don't know I kind of don't care what if you're 
I don't know if I'm very, maybe I'm idealistic, but my clients, I'm providing a service to my clients and I will work with clients that need my services or can be supported by my services, but are somehow aligned to my values. And I'm very open about what my values are. I make sure it incorporates it into my content. It's incorporated in my website. It's incorporated into as much of communication as I put out there. And I'd expect the company does the same with its missions and its values um, on its website. So I would be saying that a client would know, have an idea about a company's values and whether that would be acceptable. I don't know. I just think if you, there's always people in the world that will have problems with different cultures and we know that we see on the news all the time i'd be saying if you don't like it go elsewhere yeah i mean there could be a situation whereby uh, for example an employee who's wearing a hijab you know let's say working in an advertising company and they've been working for in this advertising company for years and then um, one of their top clients ends up for a business ends up being an, an alcohol company and if that person wearing a hijab is going for a promotion how would that impact the business, a portfolio, if one of their biggest clients is an alcohol? I don't think see, it matters as long as that person doesn't have a problem working in it. You could be, you couldn't, you might not be Muslim and you might not drink. That's exactly that, what I'm trying to say is that it can sometimes depend on the situation. Maybe that's yeah. where that question's coming from. Again, well, from all perspectives, but in terms of my experience, it's never been... There's never been any cause if whether or not someone wears a hijab or not. And it's, yeah. I'll so. tell you one, one, one context, because everything's context dependent, right? Yeah. So let's say you have a problem with Muslims. You believe, especially because you've got extremist Muslims. Yeah. It's really, I just think it's ridiculous to put everybody, generalize a, a religion in a community because of extremists, because if that if everybody behaved like that, nobody'd like Catholics because the IRA were an extremist, you know, group of Catholics, for example, and they were terrorists. But I don't understand why then people don't hate Catholics. Do you know what I mean? Uh, or the ca- Catholic priests have known to abuse children. That does everybody then hate Catholics? So there are people that part of those communities that gave the community a bad name, right? Yeah, that's right. But it's, it's double. And that comparison that you've made, it obviously illustrates this blatant double standard. Yeah. You know, Muslims and Catholics. And it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Like the, you know, so Muslims are not bad people because they've got extremists who are terrorists, right? So there's that part. So imagine this is the only context I can think of where it could even be a problem, especially in America, because it seems to be more of a thing in America. That 9-11 just happened. Okay. So you know, some Muslim terrorists, Islamic extremists, have killed so many people and there's all this pain, all this grief, all this hurt, there's anger. And now you're taking every day as it comes and you're still doing business as usual and you're put to work with someone who's Muslim. Yeah, and I think we see what you're explaining there, I think, it, uh, I believe it did actually happen uh, just straight after 9-11. And again, like I say, especially in America, it was the entire Muslim community, whether or not they wore a hijab or not, you know, they were pretty much, you know, they felt like they were walking on eggshells. Mm. They were being tarnished with that same terrorist brush. I think even nowadays, I don't know, I don't know if you speak to some Muslims, 
you know, when they go through airports, what their experience would be, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's years on. So. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. Apparently, apparently, the, you know, the drug testing and all that, that you're going through security uh-huh. is random now. So what happens, you know, when you go through the beeper thing, there's a light comes on and it's supposed to be random, like programmed randomly. Yeah. So like that light comes checked up. Yeah. yeah. So when the light goes on, that whoever's walked through gets checked. Uh-huh. And rather than the person doing the checking, just deciding who gets I checked. Know. That's fantastic. That's how it should be. Um, whether that's how it actually works, but that's how it should be. But anyway, why it matters. The hiring manager's statement could unfairly shut out the woman from a job she's well qualified for. It would also mean your company would miss out on adding her talent and diverse perspective to the team. Plus, statements like this can reinforce discrimination against Muslim women by presenting a spurious business case for not hiring them. It's true because you're excluding them. Maybe your client would have a problem. So it would be interesting to know how a company would deal with it. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose this comes back into, I know it was a previous um, podcast episode where we mentioned this about the importance of marketing and the, um, when it comes to organizations and what message they're putting out in their marketing to present who they are. And, you know, I know some, you know, so there's some organization websites that I've looked at when you look at like, who are we? And uh, basically they have uh, uh, pictures of women in wearing hijabs and, you know, that's the norm. And so if there was that scenario in what we've just been discussing, it shouldn't come as a surprise to the client because that's who the company have represented themselves to be. Um, You know, they've represented themselves to be uh, a team of employees coming from a collection of um, different diversities. Mm -hmm. So Mm, Exactly. So I guess it comes down to what you're saying there. How has the company represented themselves in the marketplace? Mm. So the client should know who they are, really. Yeah, and yeah. I think the, the company that I, I was previously working at, that's what they did very well. They presented themselves as a group of individuals who had a set of skills, regardless of what colour, what background, um, what they wear on their heads. Um, it wasn't about that. And that's what, obviously, one of the reasons why they led to having such a successful team. Yeah. And then this is what the suggestion is of what you could do. If you're actually in this situation, you could say to the hiring manager, I don't understand why they wouldn't be able to relate to her and list a few of her qualifications for a client facing role. You're interviewing them. So something on the CVs got them there. Right. And then if they've demonstrated that in the interview, then that's what you focus on, what you said. Yeah. Qualifications, client facing role. In general, refocusing the conversation on the criteria for the role that helps to shut down the bias. Brilliant. That's kind of what you said, right? Yeah. And it says why it happens. Hijab wearing women can suffer discrimination based on the, their ethnicity, their religion, and gender. So, all of those reasons. Many Americans negatively judge the hijab, seeing it as a sign of backwardness, extremism, or of Muslim women's oppression, okay? As a result, they might see the woman as less modern. Oh, these are all things I hadn't thought about, yeah. Um, They may see the woman as less modern, lacking in agency, and less relatable to clients. In reality, the hijab isn't a sign of any of those things, and women who wear it have a wide range of experiences and beliefs. But this biased thinking can hurt hijab-wearing women as they are less likely to be hired than women overall. Mm. Interesting. It is interesting. 
definitely definitely an interesting one that yeah and i wonder if that's part of the reason why muslims choose not to wear the hijab in the workplace yeah do you know what i never actually had a conversation with my team worker who i used to work with who i mentioned in this in this podcast who mm-hmm. wears a hijab we never we had lots of chats you know over lunch over work but it never came up um, but that's only because I suppose, uh, you know, I didn't see that as an, I don't know, I never saw it as an issue, but maybe I should have actually spoken to her about um, wearing the hijab, actually. It never really came up. It'd be interesting. I'm still in touch with her. So um, maybe I'd actually like to have that conversation. Maybe even invite her on the podcast. Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking about my fr- old colleague as well. Um, I'm like, would she have ever wanted to wear one? Did she choose? Was that a choice? Never to wear one ever, or was it a choice never to wear one in the workplace? Mm. I'm really curious about that now. And also what it made me think of is me, when we were talking about how she wanted to wear, she would have loved to wear a sari to work. So that was one of our first episodes. I called it wearing a sari to work day or something like that. And I said, why don't you wear a sari to work? And she was very conscious of a perception of how she would look, whether it was perceived as professional or whether more, I think for her more, it would stand out more because nobody else was, she would look so different that nobody else would be wearing that. Yeah, I don't know, but it's interesting because I remember, because like I said to you, where I grew up was very much a large community of people from Pakistan, people from India. I remember doctor, female doctor wearing sari. Sorry, I know. That's right. I remember you saying. And I've worn a sari to work. I remember, and this was back in, uh, gosh, this was 20 years ago. I was working for a TV um, show, TV, and I was working in productions. So I was working on a Richard and Judy this morning show in the UK. And uh, I was part of a production team. And I wore a sari to work. And the reason being is because I've always liked the look of a sari. Uh, but it's a very, uh, it's not an easy thing to wear. Uh, there's a lot of, I think it's about three meters of material there. And, you know, a lot of it can be embroidered. So it's going to be quite, feel quite heavy. And uh, if you're of petite frame, like I am, it's not the easiest things to pull off, uh, especially in a workplace. Um, and so, but I, I just wore it, I wore it for one day. And I think I wore it because I think I remember there was a feature about the Indian look. Rich and Judy was going, we were covering. And I thought it'd be great, even though I was off camera, it'd still be good to embrace that feature being discussed. So I wore a sorry to work. And to be honest with you, it's like uh, there was a few people that thought, oh, wow, this is really amazing. This is really, you look great. But the other, I remember nobody batted an eyelid. Mm. Nobody batted an eyelid. There was um, the crowd that I was working with, the team I was working with, there was, it was mainly um, white female workers. But yeah, there wasn't anyone else who was from an Indian background. And, uh, but they didn't bat an eyelid. Um, and so I could have worn a sari to work practically every day of the week, but it wouldn't matter. Mm. So, and that was it. And that was in the UK. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just wonder now. Would I wear African clothes to work? No, because I don't wear them and don't wear them out of work. So to me, it's not a thing anyway. But I just think if you want to wear that you should be able to wear that yeah yeah we were so i think with some cultural uh, i suppose pieces of clothing i think it's more to do with the practicality side of things sure for example with a sari it's about three meters long and so and it takes a little bit of time to work through and then then 
to work to actually put it on. And also with a sari, there's also a portion of your midriff, which is on display, which is shown. Mm. And that might not be professional in the workplace. Um, okay. That's why in terms of practicality, Vasari is a beautiful piece of dress. However, it's not necessarily, may not be suitable for the workplace, uh, which is why a lot of Indian women don't necessarily wear it. Whereas with uh, the hijab or even African dresses, it may be more suitable. There may not be um, parts of your body that are necessarily shown. With a hijab, it's actually covering parts of your body. Mm. So, and the practicality of it may not be as complex as with a sari. Yeah, I get that. But isn't there other style clothing Indian Pakistani that doesn't show midriff there's other types yeah, there's, there's what's called a salwar kameez which is basically a, a tunic top and then some um, trouser bottoms that's normally the trend or the style of dress for um, Punjabis or people of Sikh uh, origin okay so, so but that's what I'd like to see people wearing that if that's what they're used to wearing and then it comes down to that whole question of what is professional at work because to me, uh, you know, pens, black pencil skirt and shirt is so old-fashioned as a professional look and boring, if I'm honest. Yeah, so- I think fashion and also I think fashion has also, the world of fashion has also taken this into account. And I know that I've seen certain styles which have come up through the years, like, for example, the Nehru collar, which is basically an Indian origin shirt, uh, where it's the collars which are turned up with Nehru. So it's like mm-hmm. collarless. And that's sort of seen its way through to fashion, both in men's and women's fashion. Uh, but also it's kind of like, for example, a tunic dress. You can still, and, you know, in terms of patterns from different, from African or Indian regions, you know, incorporated in business wear. So I've seen that. So I think what's happening is that we, we have been seeing uh, more uh, uh, traditional dresses and patterns seep into the business wear. Yeah, I just, I find it interesting. I'm trying to think about, I have heard people comment on somebody not looking or dressing professional, but it would be more things like revealing a lot, you know, really short skirt or low cut top, or even for men wearing thongs and shorts, or maybe that's not professional because that's very casual laid back. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I just, and also I think it depends if you're client facing as well. If you don't deal with clients, if you're not seeing clients, how does it matter what you wear? You're not offending anyone. You're not turning up naked. I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to think of, I remember one lady and she dressed, I love how she dressed. Lots of color, very eccentric, if you could call it that. I just think it was amazing. I love, I wanted to see her every day, what she's wearing. Just made the workplace more interesting. Mm, it does actually. That's just it. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, one of the companies I used to work at. And it actually, even going back to school, in my school days that I mentioned, and we didn't have a uniform. One of the things about going to school the next day was to see what is everyone else going to wear. And also, it was exciting to be, you had to dress up every day for school. It was uh, so, yeah, even though it was a little bit more pressure. And whereas obviously the focus should have been on the schoolwork, but there was also <laughs> a sense of, okay, there was also a focus on who are you, what kind of identity do you have? And there were so many fashion kind of stories yeah. out there. So, Well, um, I just think within reason, you should be able to wear what you want to work. And because, you know, for some people, how they dress is reflects their personality. 
that's the like a meaning to them. For me, I just like to wear vibrant color. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel a certain way to wear certain clothes. So that's how a part of how I express myself. But sometimes I just want comfort. You know what I mean? And for some other people, they couldn't give a hoo-ha what clothes they wear. It's not important for them. So I just think just like as long as you're not distracting people. Yeah, yeah. it's great to express yourself through your clothes. So, but also it's like if you believe in a certain culture and a certain religion. And, um, you know, it's, again, if you're not, as long as you're not hurting anyone and you're not, um, you're not pushing any opinions onto others, then, you know, you should be able to, you know, dress the way you want to in the workplace. And if that's in accordance with your religion, then so be it. Well, feel comfortable to do it as well, because obviously Mina didn't feel comfortable, but that might be more about what she thinks about it than what her actual colleagues think. So what would you do? a lovely singing voice (laughs) so this what would you do it's we like workplaces this would be a workplace scenario so this is the scenario when it's suggested that a insert your own minority black person person of color whatever um actually it doesn't even need to be a minority i can think of it just being an expat okay right so that's that's hit me with a circumstance and then i'll decide all right (laughs) When it's suggested that a person, colleague, mm-hmm. presents at a client meeting, so they're going to present to your clients. Right. Someone says, as a uh, concern, she has a strong accent. Okay. Right. Okay. So this is this scenario is around uh, someone questioning about the ability or the suitability of a presenter who has an accent. Right, I see. Okay, so um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because in the workplace nowadays, you know, there's so many individuals from differing backgrounds. You know, there's so much um, uh, and different regions, different countries. And, you know, there's a strong likelihood of a team member that you're working with, you know, who is not from the same, who's not been brought up in, in the same country and, you know, has an accent. And English may not even be their first language. So, uh, you know, this probably comes up a lot. I, I doubt it's, well, I don't know whether or not, uh, you know, people question it or not. But if they do, I, I've never come across that scenario when someone's questioned it. But I'd probably ask about, uh, you know, oh, uh, I'd probably say, yeah, yeah, it's great. And they've got a great speaking voice too. You know, I'd probably return it around. Um, so I wouldn't go down the path around in like questioning, you know, oh, why would that be an issue, that type of thing. Um, But if it did turn into an issue, then I suppose it's about, uh, you know, highlighting the fact that um, it's good to get somebody on board to present uh, the client meeting. And, you know, regardless on whether or not they've got an accent, as long as they can articulate the message, the content of the work across um, to the audience, that's all that counts, really. Mm. And I've actually had this experience, kind of, a similar one anyway. And I'm thinking about it now, I'm just like, what would I've done differently in that scenario? We've had this, all, all I will say is that it was, the, we were having a meeting to train our clients, usually doctors. And so we um, ask the medic in the company to present clinical data, you know, clinical information. Um, and this, and if English was not their first language, 
this person's English was not their first language. And not only did they have an accent, but their English was not very good. And so this was raised as a concern. And we did move to ask to have somebody else present. Okay, but that's that's mainly because it wasn't necessarily their accent, but it was the fact that uh, their English language skills. Yeah. And hence going back to that point I made about as long as the message, the content of the work is conveyed successfully. Well, yeah, you made me think about it. It's the fact that they had an accent was part of it, but only made it worse because their English wasn't very good. But they also, we have people whose English was good, where we also make the request that they didn't present because the way they presented was very monotone, very quiet, very, just didn't have the the skill Mm. to present and be engaging and people to pay attention. Yeah, and if that's the purpose of the presentation, if that's part of the purpose of the presentation, then you have to consider those attributes um, when it comes to the selection of the speaker. Yeah, and in any case, now I would give some feedback that there needs to be some sort of development to yeah. help them improve yeah. and, you know, get mm-hmm. to the point where they can present at a level that's yeah. required. Yeah, and that's what a lot of um, Toastmasters are also available there for. So a lot of people go to Toastmasters, um, and I've actually been to one in Sydney. um, And again, my question aside came out because I spent a lot of time asking um, other people in the group, oh, what led you to come to Toastmasters? And that was one one of the main reasons they came was because um, there were either opportunities in their workplace um, of um, presenting, um, and they weren't confident about this, or they had um, a presentation due in their workplace and they were not very confident in terms of it could have been it was mainly like their, their style of presenting uh, nerves around presenting so you know that's mm. toastmasters yeah so you can upskill that right yeah. but then also i english is my first language and i know that sometimes people struggle understanding me i have an accent i may have an accent yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of people here in Australia, I know, um, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but um, I know people here in Australia um, where, you know, when it comes to the northern part of England, especially Newcastle, they struggle um, to understand. And I know, you know, working in the TV industry previously, I know that when there have been uh, programmes um, whereby the, the content is going to be um, televised in other countries, English speaking countries, if there's a Newcastle presenter, there will be captioned and subtitles. Right. Well, then that might be a solution, honestly. If that's a solution, that's a solution. But then I just remember, you just reminded me, I went speed dating once. I went speed dating lots of times, actually. But this particular time, it was years ago, uh-huh. I was, went speed dating. There was lots of different people. The women yeah. stayed and the men moved. Yeah. And I had a three-minute conversation with each man. Yeah. And the and then sat in front of me was a Caucasian Australian man, mm-hmm. and he all he said to me was, "I can't understand what you're saying." That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's all he could say to me for the three minutes. I don't understand what you're saying. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't have any struggles, of, you know, understanding you at all. And uh, even people from Newcastle, I have, you know, I've worked with Anton Deck. Didn't have any problems understanding them, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's strange how other people, um, yeah, you know, you know, take on um, accents. You know, maybe it's because again, they may not have been exposed to one before. Well, I just think and, that's um, what it is. You have to 
the more you hear, the more you understand. It's as simple as that. It's exposure. And this it's is another exposure. reason why, why, you know, if regardless of whether or not someone, as long, sorry, as long as somebody in the workplace um, has the ability to convey the message of a presentation, then they, then, you know, in terms of them having an accent, that shouldn't be a criteria for them not to be selected as a presenter. Um, because it comes down to that exposure. So, yeah. so yeah, I know that in an advertising company that I previously worked at, uh, I remember there was a, a female um, co-worker of mine and English wasn't her first language. Um, she'd moved to Australia about 10 years ago and she stood up and made presentations and she was heavily accent, accented um, and she did a great job. And, uh, you know, our group, our, the audience, they didn't focus on the accent. They were focusing on the content because what she was presenting was so engaging mm-hmm. and um, and so interesting. But she, they could understand what she was saying despite the accent. Yes, yes. It's very heavy. She was very heavy. Um, it's, it's very heavy accent. But that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't part of the, of the feedback. I didn't interfere with the feedback. No. So to me, there's two possibilities for this kind of comment. This is just my experience. One is that you actually don't understand what they're saying because you haven't had enough exposure. And the second is you hear the accent and you assume that you won't understand them. There's two, two different kind of responses there. And I don't know which one this is. So I guess what it would be a case of is if I'm, I don't know what the suggestion is yet because I haven't yeah. read it. But if somebody said, to, oh, she has a strong accent, and my question would be, okay, they have a strong accent. Maybe they have a strong accent. That's subjective, really, right? Um, can you understand what they're saying, though? Yes or no? Like, can you understand what the message they're trying to convey? That, that's, that's exactly it yeah and if they say no um then the case be asked, okay. well, okay, it's, uh, it's worthwhile reconsidering the selection process well it but, depends because again i'd be like is it them or is it uh, how many people does it impact is do you understand like whoever's in the room like i want to generally know because you yeah so, know. so so it'd be worthwhile putting it out there to to the group so um, let's because that, i'm going to do one or two things if it's a minority of people, I'm thinking they specifically haven't had enough exposure mm. and I'll go with the majority. But then if it's the majority of people thinking, um, yeah, we can't really understand, they're going to help that person get better. But yeah, probably, so it's about, yeah. so that's, that's an interesting one because it's kind of, because it's, if they, if we, if a speaker with the accent is, um, understands the content, but it's literally about the fact that they have a very heavy accent and um, a majority of the team have difficulty comprehending their words mm. um, because of the accent, then is it a case of and how would you approach that? With that? Well, this is the thing. You, you have to up, help that person improve their speaking, their English. There'll be an action plan there. But also, where, where but, are you? But, the but, yeah. but, but that, that's on the accent. It's like saying, so can you improve on your accent? No, I mean, it's not about the accent. It's can you understand the words they're saying? Yes or no? And yeah, even if you help them improve, yeah, I've got less of an accent. You want to hear me when I'm back in the Blackburn? <laughs> I'd like to do that. <laughs> I've got less of an accent speaking outside of there because I know people understand me better. Right. And if you learn it, it's not even conscious. Ask anybody who's been told that nobody understands them. Their accent has changed, just being yeah. better understood. That happens naturally. And it happens naturally with practice. So that's how I would help that person, right? 
but then we're in the day of technology. I went to a conference the other week and every speaker on the stage spoke English very well, even if it was a second language. There was people from all over Europe speaking English, except for one woman. And where was she from? I think she was from Brazil. And she spoke in her native language and sat next to her was an interpreter translating everything she said. Right. Right. So there was two things. One, she had a translator. She's still the expert speaking because she's the expert, but she had a translator. That's not necessarily practical in everyday workplace. Got it. The second thing they had was AI yeah. transcribing yeah. as uh, live. Yeah, I like that option whereby there's captions, uh, there'd captions. Be, there'd be caption, there'd be, yeah, there'd be captions added, especially if it's a presentation you're mentioning. Okay, so can't mean presentation. If there's a presentation that is slides, I like the idea of um of there being uh, captions. Captions. And even in the Zoom meeting. As opposed to yeah, you know, not selecting that person. Yeah, exactly. So you do as much as you can to select that person because yeah. it gives them exposure, right? Yeah, and also um, having captions there, I suppose it's like, you know, it's, it's a company initiative and it's the company, you know, we're going to be supporting our employees who may not have English as a first language or who have struggles or difficulties in terms of or obstacles um, in terms of presenting. Well, it's being more inclusive. It's yeah. having more diverse. Yeah, that's it. Thing. Yeah, it's all yeah. of those things. So I think I like that idea. I really like that idea, actually. And I think if I was in the audience of a company, let's say if there's a lunch and learn, for example, and I rocked up and I saw this and captions, that's what would run through my mind, thinking that's great that they've accommodated this for people who may not understand my co-worker. Yeah, and, and you can do captions in Zoom now. You can actually turn it on. So that in a meeting, when people oh, speak, I love that. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that actually. You I do it in Zoom. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's not the best, as if it's not perfect, but the technology is there and it's getting better but, all the time. Yeah, and it's really great because, um, let's say, for example, when you have town halls in this, you know, fifteen hundred employees strong uh, company, how you don't know whether or not, and the leadership team may not know if there's people of like, um, you know, with hearing difficulties, for example. And yeah, so, and like, so turning on the caption you know, to make the town hall more inclusive, you know, that's something maybe companies and employers should consider, actually. Yeah, we've just thought of a new initiative. Yeah, it's actually quite good. Yeah, that's a good, they should do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. What it says. <laughs> yeah, that's it. What do the experts say? Right. Why it matters. This comment could torpedo your co-workers' chance to present at a meeting which would be a major missed opportunity for her to prove her skills and show her value to the company. And this is how bias against people with accents can harm people. It can mean that people miss out on assignments, jobs and promotions for which they are qualified. Okay. And it says you could say um, that you don't have any trouble understanding her. If that's true, this is what I mean. Um, you don't have any trouble understanding her. You think she'd do a great job at the meeting. You could also ask whether there's a problem with her expertise on the subject matter. If she knows the topic well, her accent shouldn't make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And then why it happens. Many people unconsciously assume an accent means a person has poor language skills. And that's what I mean. There's an assumption that you understand them mm. just because you hear the accent. Mm even if their grammar and word choice are perfectly correct. The bias particularly hurts, and it says Latinas here, but it's talking about America. Yeah. Um, I would say 
it hurts black people, Asian people from, you know, with accents here. Mm. And people tend to perceive women with accents as less intelligent and knowledgeable than other women. It means Latina women. Your colleague may also be hearing an accent where there isn't one. Oh, research shows that people can falsely perceive an accent when a person of color speaks completely unaccented American English. Do you know what that reminds me of? When we had Frankie on and she's talking about her husband, like she's got the accent. He was born in Australia, but he's Asian descent, so he looks Asian. And people are asking him where he's from. Yeah. Even though you hear her speak a foreign accent with a foreign accent and him speak with a native accent. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. And, uh, can we also really, 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 uh, assigning like a, a, a judgment or a discrimination when it comes to assert someone's accent? It can be kind of also reversed in the sense that I had an, an experience when I first arrived in Australia. This was back in I think 2002 and I went to I went for a job interview and I had arrived slightly late and um, they already were interviewers she already had my CV and she was reading through it and um, when I walked into the room I sat down and my first thing I did was I apologized for for being late and um, her response was the interviewer's response was um, was oh you have a British accent oh I wouldn't be able to tell you wouldn't be able to tell and uh, that's actually, that was actually seen in my favour. So what she was expecting. I know, say, but that's still a bias. It's discrimination. Yes, exactly. yeah. That's what I'm saying is that it's, it's like my accent somehow, it was, it was, it was seen as a plus in her eyes. Yeah, because um, they assume people can't. Because the assumption was because my, my, because I had an Indian surname or have an Indian surname because I have an Indian name. And because when I walk through a door, I look Indian the interviewer was not expecting a different accent so you know she was expecting an Indian accent and when I when I when I when I spoke with my British accent um which is what I have yeah somehow that was seen more um as highly regarded I honestly think people should keep those thoughts to themselves because right. I don't think they realize how it makes them look <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was it was a, yeah it was, a, it was quite shocking at the time so it was about 20 years ago that happened yeah I I, I mean I'm yeah, I've had surprise people's been surprised the other way. Like it's weird. Like just say I've met a new friend. Well, this is an exact example. I met a new friend, and you know we become really close. And and she invites me to a family event. Now she's been talking about her friend Tracy for lots of times with her family, and she's asked, "Can I bring Tracy to our party or whatever dinner, whatever?" Tracy turns up, and they look at me like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting." Honestly, I've had that. Oh, oh, oh hi, Tracy. Expecting... Wasn't expecting to be a black girl. You weren't expecting Tracy to be black. They were surprised. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then, so, okay. And so, when you've been in, have you been? So, you've been in a situation where you rocked up to a friend's. Family. I've been in that a situation a couple of times. And the, family the surprise, actually... not and in it... a horrible way, just surprised. Yeah. Do I tell you? Oh, we're surprised. Well, I asked later, oh. like. Oh, you know, wow, they just thought they just made an assumption. They just thought you were white. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Older generation. Tracy as as a sign, a name assigned to white people in their head, in their heads, obviously. 
Yeah. It's a bias. It's like when you get a story, and, and I'm, I'm noticing this in the books that I'm reading now, is mm. that uh, when you, you, and I hadn't really thought about it before until now, because it's, it's so before when when books are in general you know if, if books are talking about um, a couple in a in a certain sense so you know it's normally written as you know a couple and then and then I automatically think you know a heterosexual couple but now the books that I'm starting the last few books that I've read have actually referred to a couple and then later down down the track in the story it actually ends up being a gay couple um, but the actual sexuality is not anything to do with the plot line yeah but it isn't it interesting how like your your mind sometimes automatically goes to a couple yes. it's, it's a heterosexual couple but now the books that i'm reading the authors are starting to write in as in but well, actually writing gay and lesbian couples married couples and but it's not part of a story it's not part of a plot line so it's it's, it's again a bit normalizing things and I think it's great and I really you gave a really good example because what I wanted to finish on saying is we all have bias all mm. of us I do you do and what's really cool is being able to realize that sometimes and point it out and it's not it's not a judgment it's not a blame thing it's just pointed out and what and what impact does that have when you realize that that bias is there what could that mean for other people? Does it bring them up? Does it empower them? Or could it, you know, inhibit them or limit them in some ways? So it's not a it's not a judgment. It's just a fact of life. This is the world we live in. It's about recognizing that and doing the best we can to help everyone else. Everyone. Right. Yeah, well said. It's a great point to end on. So thank you, Belle. Great. I love having these heated, <laughs> controversial discussions with you. Well, you know, I like to put the cat amongst the pigeons. Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you do like that, actually. <laughs> Interesting choice of words. That's true. That is true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Choice of words. All right. All right. I'll see you next time. See you next time. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have as much fun with us today as we did. If what you heard resonated with you, don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down Sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya.